0: This is one of those weirdly enjoyable ones for me, but if I'm being honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Like, it's it's a competent episode. It's nothing special. It's not going on the VHS list, for example, but it's certainly not a skip, and it's not in the middle. Well, I mean, it kind of is the middle ground. I don't know. It's just it's just kind of I don't know. What do you guys think? I suppose I should have asked before I gave my opinion. Sorry. This is written by Robert Sabarov. You may recognize him as the gentleman who helped write Home Soil and Conspiracy. No, those are not TOS episodes. Those are TNG episodes. Um, Conspiracy was a pretty decent episode. I don't like it. Personally, but that's just because blah factor. Home Soil is my rough thoughts on that. You'll notice all three of these have to do with some supremely alien entity, which... Okay, you know, I'm with it. I'm with it. I also want to give special uh, praise to Frank Van DeVere, who, Fran Devere excuse me, who actually did the special effects for the Amoeba. He did it really smartly. Check this out. He got a thing of, like, glass or plastic or whatever, smeared some liquid and paint in there, got another thing, and then just smooshed them together. You know how you do that, and it'll, like, make patterns and make it look like it's moving? That's, that's brilliant. I, I just had to praise that. This is a mystery episode. What the heck is this? What the heck is going on? The buildup, the reveal... We need to have shore leave and have lots of sex. At least that's what Kirk wants. No judgment, like I said, as as long as that's not the only thing to do on a shore leave planet. I'm totally down with the idea. And absolutely, after the last string of episodes, they probably need some kind of shore leave. And then Spock senses the death of the Vulcans. This is a point so silly, they spend about two minutes trying to justify it in character to the characters, as Spock is, like, trying to tell and sell McCoy on the idea that he really did feel this. Um, I don't buy it. I'm I'm just going to be as blunt about that as I possibly can. In an episode about an amoeba that's eating a star system, I have trouble buying that Spock can use the Force. Although, in the interest of fairness, later on, Spock does become an actual wizard and uses magic, so what the hell do I know? Also, uh, the Intrepid, a ship of all Vulcans. This is actually interesting. I made this whole spiel back in Journey to Babel about the idea that the Vulcans might not actually be part of Starfleet, and <clears throat> and apparently I'm an idiot. Although it is interesting to note that it is an all-Vulcan crew, not a mixed crew, which kind of lines up with Vulcan uh, sensibilities from what we've seen in basically every other show. Vulcans who inter- interact with others are the exceptions, not the rule. So that tends to line up, at least from what I've seen. There are exceptions, of course. There's at least two I can think of in TNG. There's Tuvok, obviously. You know, those count. Anywho, I suppose T'Pol would count as well, but Starfleet didn't exist at the time. Or the Federation. (laughs) Uh, So billions are dead. I like how they basically never bring that up again. Every time they mention how devastating this creature is, they bring up the Intrepid and how those 400 Vulcans are dead. Uh, Don't mistake me, that's a big deal, but this thing did wipe out a star system, right? Which brings me to my next point. Why did this thing wipe out a star system? I don't mean to complain, but I see no reason for this plot point to even exist. Given the fact that the episode itself immediately forgets it, there's also the fact that it's harder to comprehend destroying a system versus destroying a ship and there's the fact that it seems completely unnecessary to emphasize the threat of the thing they mentioned that it's about 11000 miles in diameter roughly okay so that's a little over twice or is that a little under that's a little under excuse me twice the width of two earths that's still pretty big that's still pretty terrifying and certainly something that could damage a ship and if it were to spread cause serious issue to the galaxy so the galactic threat is still there and the threat and, and the the, the, death of, the deaths of the ships still matter in the same way. We just don't have billions dead for no reason. And if you're wondering why I oppose this so much, it's because they're all red shirts. No, really. The billions dead, that's, those are all red shirts in the terms of how they're being utilized. They killed lots of people to prove the situation was serious. And then they immediately ignored it and moved on as if they weren't there. Unlike the Intrepid, which they continuously bring up throughout the course of the episode. Just saying. Either way. So, uh, there's this hole in space and the peeks out and's like, what the heck? Oh my god, what is that? And he immediately goes back to his laboratory. The shields, I hate to keep nitpicking this episode, but the shields get activated automatically. Now this is something that's happened before that they will uh, activate in reaction to, like, an attack or whatever, right? Okay, sure. Um, It's a good feature to have, if I'm being honest, so I'm not really complaining about that. What makes me wonder, though, is... Spock makes a point of saying that their sensors cannot detect this thing. So what did the shields automatically turn on in reaction to if they can't see anything? You can't raise your hand to cover your face... Because someone's about to, something's about to smack into your face if you're blind and have no other way of telling that it's there. Moving on. So Kirk needs answers, damn it. Spock, give me answers. Scotty, give me answers. McCoy, give me answers. Why doesn't anyone have answers? Oh my god. Wait, I've got an idea. Let's go closer into the death field that's actually killing us. Commercial break irritation. Okay, I've been I've been talking some smack about this episode. Allow me to give some praise here. There's a bit where Kirk realizes what's going on, and he decides to get on shipwide comm and say, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. We got this, Kirk out. Good move. That's a leader as opposed to a commander right there. Because remember, one of the key distinctions that I tend to make in my terminology is that a leader has to make sure to capture the hearts and minds of people, not just tell them what to do for the best tactical outcome. What... No, seriously, picture this. Picture your Lieutenant What's-A-Face down in a Deck, just trying to figure out what's going on and cleaning up, and all of a sudden, the ship shakes, and you just, oh, God, you feel all sick, and as you look up, you see several other people are all feeling sick, too. It's so strange. You have no idea what's going on. Your Starfleet training will enable you to keep doing your job, but having the captain call down and say, this is what's up, this is what we're doing about it, that allows that little bit of morale... And that psychological edge of the confidence that that brings in order to help solidify the situation so you can do your job better. I just wanted to give a little praise for that moment, because there's actually some decent moments in this episode, especially character moments, for an episode that's all about fighting a giant amoeba. So, then we have the reverse logic, which uh, makes no sense. I mean, I know it's an anti-energy field, but an anti-energy field doesn't mean that the engines suddenly go forward if you go backwards. In fact, I'm astonished that the stimulants, I I must be remembering another episode, because there's, oh, I think I'm thinking of a TNG episode, because the stimulants, wouldn't that like make them feel worse, not better, because the reverse thing? I I don't know, at this point, I'm I'm just, moving on, moving on. The reverse logic is inconsistent, is my point. So they just kind of go with it, and there's this bit where Spock mentions that the Vulcans could not conceive of such an illogical situation, which is why they fell prey to it. I sure hope that's not true, because if that's true, uh, Vulcans should never, ever go to space, ever. Logic, you you realize deducing based on absence of information is a logical deduction, right? Like, you don't have to have the rigid, absolute order of control in order to progress forward. I, I, I mean, I would like to think that the Vulcans are slightly smarter than... Um, my niece. Anyways. This, this is I'm bringing this up because this isn't the first time this has happened. But it mentions how Vulcans have to do this. This actually hits Spock, too, where Spock's like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And Kirk's like, well, what aren't you looking at? He actually says that in this episode, but that's come up prior to now as well. It's like, come on, just... <laughs> remove what can't be and what isn't, and then figure out what's left. How this comes up in Star Trek VI, actually. You could argue this is part of Spock's development, but it really doesn't speak well to the Vulcan mentality, is what I'm trying to say. So, they send in a probe. Okay, cool. And then they try the escape attempt at about the halfway point of the episode. That made me laugh. I, I looked down at the, the time, and it we actually was less than halfway through the episode. I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't working. i will going to be real. I didn't really remember this episode. I mean i remember the visual of the giant amoeba and that's it this was a completely non-memorable episode for me and i can kind of see why because other than the giant amoeba it's not that memorable except for the good character bits the probe goes in it gives them some telemetry and they're like okay we need a manned person to go in there and scan it i'm not sure what i think of that because that implies that the individual shuttlecraft can have better scanners than a probe which is something specifically designed to scan, which I'm kind of okay with, but at the same time, if that's true, then that means they should use their shuttlecraft a lot more than they do, which they can't because of budget-raising, and you see why I'm just kind of stuck up against a wall on this one. Regardless, I'm going to let it slide. They want to send in a man ship. What ensues is a really great scene of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy all insisting it be them. Every single one of them wants to be the one to man the suicide mission to go in. Kirk, of course, naturally is the self-sacrificing one. Spock believes he is the best equipped. And McCoy really wants to investigate for the, the, the medical research probability of actually having this great moment of doing it, right? And it's, it's, it's a great scene. I don't have anything to add to it, unfortunately. All of them have a valid point. All of them have a reason for wanting it. And there is a valid reason for denying all of them. Kirk belabors this and, and it debates this and finally decides to send in Spock. This then leads to another great scene between Spock and McCoy. The, the two of them are talking, and McCoy is just like, hey, just really going to rub it in and not let me be part of this at all. And, and Spock's finally like, let me, be, let, me, let me have this. At least give me this bit of Vulcan dignity. It's not stated outright, but I get the extremely strong impression that at least part of this is actually personal for Spock. Maybe not in the revenge sense, or perhaps as close to revenge as Spock can allow himself to get. The idea that I am going to personally be the one to help fix this situation that has caused the death of so many of my people is certainly something I could see Spock thinking. What do you guys think? Either way, they have this wonderful back and forth in discussion. And as they're discussing it, there's this great moment where Spock leaves and the camera takes its time watching them go. And make sure to show that Spock gets out, goes into the shuttle, closes the doors. And it's only when the doors finally close that McCoy says, good luck, Spock. That's good. I like that. I've often felt, this is going to be a bit of a sidebar, I've often felt that the relationship between Odo and Quark was in many ways based off of the same bones, pun intended, of the relationship between McCoy and Spock. Obviously, there are differences, and I'm not trying to say that there's any aping. I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade here. It's just you can see how the idea of that type of friendship is something that is predominant in both characters. Throughout pretty much all of their arcs, too. That's true even into the very last episode of DS9 and into Star Trek VI over in uh, the TOS stuff. So it's good stuff. I like it. And it is a good dynamic. It's, it's. If I might be so bold, it is a necessary dynamic. It could be argued to be an unhealthy type of friendship, and I'm not going to argue against that. But, well, put simply, if everyone just gets along with each other, then it gets a little bit boring. You need to have, I've talked about this idea before, mostly when it comes to uh, story design over in video games, but uh, also in Star Trek, you need to have a connecting point. For a character to matter, for a character to have interest, for a character to be interesting, there needs to be a connecting point. But as I've talked about, those connectors can be all kinds of things. They can be friendship. They can be different types of friendship. They can be antagonistic. They can be rival. They can be friendly rivalry. They can be uh, villainous or revenge or hate or love or family or antagonistic family. And There's there's, there's so many different dimensions that these connectors can make, right? But it can, a strong connector is important, and with regulars, a variety of different types of connectors is important, too, in my opinion. I hate to go to D DS9 again on this one, but... The different connectors, just looking at Odo, the connection between Odo and Cisco, Odo and Worf, Odo and Kira, Odo and Quark. I think we'll stop there. Oh, no, one more. Odo and Garrick. Every single one of those connectors is a different type of connector. And each one of them helps strengthen him and them. This is, I think, one of the flaws of TOS, if I can be completely blunt with myself. Because Kirk to Spock Kirk to McCoy and McCoy to Spock. These three connectors are completely different from each other, but that's kind of it. Despite the fact that they're on the same same ship, despite the fact that the, the secondary cast have been you know had, had more to do and had more screen time, the fact of the matter is there's not really any connecting points between the big three and everyone else. There are connecting points between everyone else. You know, Chekhov and Sulu is one of the more obvious ones, but there's not really any connectors between the big three and the rest. And I do think that is to the series' detriment. My opinion. Anywho, <clears throat> sidebar over. Actually, I have one more thing to talk about while we're here. Uh, well, no, let's let's move that forward. Let's let's change my mind live on camera. We'll do it live. I, I had to do that lightly. I don't want I, that's like right next to the mic. I don't think you want to hear that. <clears throat> here, I'll do it over here. There we go. Gotta get the sound effect in there. So they send in the man probe, and Spock goes in, everything's cool, and we see the giant amoeba. And you know, can I just mention this thing makes the crystalline entity look like a joke? Really, think about it. And if that doesn't really impress you, try to remember that the crystalline entity is an eldritch abomination of death. It is a horrific, monstrous creature that shows up and destroys and consumes planets to the point where even bacteria are gone. That is a straight-up Lavos-class threat, as I would like to put it. And this thing dwarfs it by a factor of gabrillions. This thing is literally a galactic-level threat. It's just funny to me because it's a giant amoeba, and I don't feel any of that vibe at all. It's like, okay... Sure. Whatever. I guess. Why not? I just wanted to comment on that. Uh, So, you ever see. God, DSpace 9 just keeps coming up today. I don't know why. You ever see Playing God? It's a DS9 episode. Uh, It's the one where the proto universe is found in the nacelle or whatever, and it's dumb. I'm sorry. I don't like that episode. But I bring that episode up because here's a question that I've seen asked Should they kill it? Now, my answer is absolutely, 100%, yes, they totally should. Even if it is something that is effectively an innocent organism, it is not sentient or sapient life yet. And if I found a bug, that's a bad example because I hate bugs. Um, I, I don't have a better example. If, if there was a bug that had just killed 400 people, unintentionally, of course, but just, just by r- virtue of existing, then I would make it a high priority to execute or destroy that thing immediately right and this thing's way below a bug level yeah no i feel no remorse about this one personally but i'm curious of your guys' thoughts but it it comes up because you know we we can't just destroy the the prototype universe and yet they never even mentioned that idea here instead this thing is presented entirely in an antagonistic light they flat out call it a virus or even though it's a living thing so it's probably closer to being um, you know some kind of bacteria or disease or whatever Except even that's above an amoeba, but whatever, let, let's, let's leave terminology at the door for a second. It's an invading organism, and it is clearly parasitic in the way it operates here. It consumes, and then it's trying to multiply, and in, in its consumption, it actively kills on a gar- gargantuan scale. Stutter, stutter. So what we have here is a foreign infection, for all intents and purposes. I love McCoy's ideas that we are effectively the antibodies for it. In fact, I feel like I've seen at least one Star Trek novel somewhere that explored that idea that sentient life are the antibodies of the universe (laughs) against other universes and stuff, you know? I don't remember where I saw that. Maybe someone can help me out in the comments. Either way. So they go in. We got this. Uh, Two last things. Because the the climax is good, and it goes exactly the way it was. As usual, I just don't have much to say about a big epic conclusion because it's all, you know, it, it's, you can tell exactly what happens just from me saying there's an epic conclusion right now, right? right we can turn it into a song, and they go with, and they nearly don't die, but then they kind of escape, and then they explode, but they're okay. There you go, there you go, what do you want from me? Oh, they also rescue Spock. Actually, that's a cool bit. You notice as they're passing Spock's shuttle, which by the way, the odds of them passing Spock shuttle are monumentally minuscule, but let's ignore that for a second. As they're passing Spock's shuttle, they hail him. You know what he does? He doesn't respond. Now that's actually important, and this is good writing. Because he can respond. Seconds later, after they tractor him, he does respond. In other words, Spock was staying quiet specifically so they wouldn't waste power rescuing him. Very Spock. And very in character. And fits perfectly, and I love that that little character moment right there it's 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 beautifully understated also they Scotty mentions how much he's having to juggle the various power management am I the only one who would really like a Star Trek management sim like obviously there's ideas of running a ship in Star Trek kind of like FTL except much more and much better no offense to FTL it's a good game but like expand upon that but no how about just just managing the energy and function of a ship you're not you're not doing missions you're just making sure the ship is operating properly and the ship's like doing its missions and and how well it does on the missions depends on how well you manage the different energy resources and stuff is, is am i the only one that sounds cool too guys i'm a geek what do you want from me I have apparently found out something, by the way. I've, for the longest time, I've called myself a Trekker because I was told that that was what you called yourself when you were into Trek, and then E was the later thing. Apparently, that's the reverse. I actually saw a quote about that uh, in that book over there. I, I can stretch my arm out. I keep forgetting. I'm still doing the mentally box thing I told you about earlier. Um, I saw a quote about that because it was related to the, the Season 3 Renewal because I've been studying the Season 3 Renewal, and oh my God, it's such a nightmare. At this point, I might as well just read half of two books on camera to you. I'm not going to do that, guys. The Season 3 renewal was a mess, though, and possibly shouldn't have happened. But we'll talk about that when we get there. For now, I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on the amoeba from beyond the stars. Vroom.